Welcome to this week's Rashi Shir, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. So, good evening and welcome to this week's Shir of Rashi, whether you're joining us on Zoom or on the podcast. If you like the podcast, please rate us and review us and uh, it will help other people find the podcast for themselves. And we are continuing learning Rashi on Sefer Bereshit, and we are in the parasha of Lech Lecha, and we are up to Perak Tet Zion. So after the macro view of Jewish history that was contained in the Brit Venavatarim in Perak Tet Vav, we now turn to a more micro perspective, or at least that's how it seems, from the domestic arrangements inside Abraham's household. Although I should point out, that I once learned from one of my teachers, that in Peretet Vav, we have the Brit Benabataran, and a little bit later, we're gonna have the Brit Mila. And as we discuss with the Brit Benabataran, where Abraham has promised 10 nations, uh, when it comes to the Brit Mila, it's more exclusively for the Jewish descendants of Abraham to be part of that Brit, whereas the Brit Benabataran included the non-Jewish descendants of Abraham, certainly Ammon, Moab, and Esau. Um, and I saw, heard, in fact, I learned the suggestion that Perak Tet Zion is the bridge between that. Because when Abraham uh, states clearly that Yishmael and his mother Hagar are not fully part of the Jewish family, that is where he's making a distinction between his Jewish descendants and his non-Jewish descendants. And that is why maybe it's not the bridge, maybe it's the chasm between the Brit Benavitarim and the Brit Mila, as we will see. Okay, what happens in Perak Tet Zion Pasuk Aleph? The Sarai, Eshet Avram, Lo Yalada, Lo. Sarai, the wife of Abraham, had not born to him. Vela Shivcha Mitzrit, Ushma Hagar. And she had an Egyptian servant, and her name was Hagar. So Rashi says on Shifcha Mitzrit, Bat Paro Haita, she was the daughter of Paro. Kashara Nisim Shana'asu La Sarah, when he saw, that's Paro, when he saw miracles that were done to Sarah or for Sarah, this refers to when Abraham and Sarah went to Mitzrayim <coughs> and Sarah was taken into Paro's harem and was saved from terrible things happening to her by plagues and things which were wrought on her behalf. And says the Midrash here, which Rashi quotes, that Paro at that time saw miracles done on behalf of Sarah. Amar mutav biti shivcha He said, Paro said, it is better that my daughter be a servant in this house below Gevira bebeit acher, and not a noble woman, in another house. So Rashi is saying that Shifchat Mitzrit, that this maidservant from Egypt is not just any maidservant from Egypt, she is an Egyptian princess who wants to be in Abraham's house. Now on a certain sort of uh, high level, Rashi is saying that Abraham is a really great guy and as Rashi says from time to time, Abraham's greatness is appreciated by other people even people of a high status themselves. He's made king over 
the neighbors. He's called an Asi Elohim, a prince of God amongst us. And this is another example of Abraham's greatness being, if you like, a Kiddush Hashem and Ola Goyim, something appreciated by even Paro himself. But what is the textual clue on which Rashi bases this? So one suggestion is, the first of all, it says that she is a Shivcha Mitzrit, which is then going to be repeated in Pasuk Gimel. So why do we need to be told it twice? So it must be significant. She's not just any old Egyptian maidservant, question one. Question two, why do we need to be told she's an Egyptian at all? It's not really relevant to the passage of the story unless it's relevant to something about the nature of Hagar. And it's also suggested, if you look carefully in Pasuk Aleph, Vela Shivcha Misrit. The construction says to her, to Sarah, she was an Egyptian servant, implying to others she wasn't a servant, implying only La, only to her, to Sarah. Did she take, did Hagar take on this lowly status? But when she wasn't la to her, to Sarah, she was not a shivcha, she was something else. Hence Rashi saying she was actually highborn and only became a shivcha to Sarah. Okay, next pasuk. So we know that Sarah has not given birth. And we also know this is a big issue for, uh, for Abraham because he made it a big issue when he talked to Hashem in the previous paragraph. Sarai said to Avram, Behold, now Hashem has stopped me from giving birth. Come now to my maidservant. In other words, have relations with her. Maybe I will be built up from her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. So what's going on here? Rashi says, So first of all, Rashi is interested in the word bana, to be built. So Sarah says, if all goes well, I will be built up. So Rashi says, This teaches on someone who does not have children. Interestingly, it's in the male who is not, such a person is not built, but rather they are destroyed, the opposite of built. So Rashi here is explaining why um, Sarah uses this word, I will be built, because in her present state, she is not built. She is the opposite of built. And then Rashi says on the word and I have to say to me personally, this was such an eye opener when I appreciated this comment of Rashi. Maybe everybody else has got it, but I, uh, this comment of Rashi turned the whole thinking on its head that I'd understood about what was going on here. And I will explain. Says Rashi on the word When, it's, when Sarah says, I will be built from her, says Rashi, in the merit that I brought my rival into my house. So Sarah is saying, I will be built, maybe, Ulai, maybe I will be built, not from the fact that she has, a, that Hagar will have a baby, but rather I will be built because I've done a good thing. I will get schut, I will get merit. And as a result of that merit, maybe I will have a baby myself. 
That's what Rashi is saying. Now, again, if other people cut this a long time ago, then I've caught up. But what, it's, what I've realized is that this is completely different from the case of Bilha and Zilpa. So in the case of Bilha and Zilpa, Rachel, who'd never had children, and Leah, who'd taken a break from having children, gave their maidservants to Yaakov, and that was mamish what we were called today a surrogate pregnancy. And the children whom Bilhah and Zilpah bore were counted as children of Rachel and Leah. And the proof is that Rachel and Leah gave them their names. They became, if you like, the adopted parents or as close to the real parents as you can get. The children of Bilhah and Zilpah were counted as the children of Rachel and Leah because it was a surrogate pregnancy. Sarah is not saying that. Sarah is not saying, if Hagar has a child, it will be considered my child. And why does Rashi say that? It seems to me because quite clearly when Hagar has a child, it's absolutely not considered Sarah's child. And Sarah doesn't consider it her child at all, at all, at all. It's to the extent that when she sees Hagar's child, who's always called Hagar's child, uh, somehow playing, but not in a nice way, we'll get to that later, with her own child, Yitzchak, she says, Hagar's child has got to go. He mustn't grow up. He mustn't inherit with my child, with Yitzchak. So Sarah, all the time, does not connect in any way to Yishmael. He does, she does not consider him as her surrogate child at all, at all, at all. And therefore, Rashi here says on the words, Ibanemi mena, which one might think means I, Sarah, will be built through a surrogate pregnancy and through a surrogate child. Rashi says that's not it at all, at all. Sorry, I keep saying at all, at all, because I think it's so conclusive. It's not at all because it's with the zechut that I've done something good that maybe I will merit in my own right, i.e. I will merit to have a child. Which also gives a whole new dynamic to what was the function of Hagar. What was the function of Hagar conceiving and, and bearing a child? It was not to satisfy the need for Sarah to have a child. And therefore, it was not to satisfy the need for Sarah and Abraham to have a child. But rather, it was just for Abraham to have a child. And Sarah hopes she'll get merit by bringing it about that Abraham has a, has a child. But she still is waiting for hers, which means the Abraham-Sarah unit, which are the ancestors of the Jewish people, are still waiting for theirs. Okay, so that is why I was very excited to understand Ibn Mimena because I think it shows that this is absolutely not a surrogate pregnancy and it's completely different from Bilhah and Zilpah and it explains why Sarah has no attachment whatsoever to Yishmael, quite the contrary. And Sarah, you look like you're about to ask something. Was that just your natural look of curiosity? Okay. Can I ask something quickly? Yes, um, I don't know if you have in brackets. I've got a bracket there with, um, it says that, I'm looking at the Ascroll little edition that says, um, the words in brackets appear in the Reggio di Calibra edition anyway, not in some others, but it says, Kamosh Amar, the Rashi continues, Natan Elohim Ishi. So when Sarah does fall pregnant, um, it says, God has granted me my reward because I gave my maid servant. Um, to my husband. So that's what Sarah says later on. Um, and it's kind of, yeah, that's, that's my reward. And uh, yeah, kind of the continuation, I guess, just as you described. Okay, so I don't have that in this particular text, which is interesting because this particular text is usually pretty comprehensive. Um, but, so I'd have to go and check the art scroll and see that for myself. 
Um, but it would fit perfectly that she, based on what you've just read to me, is that when she does have a son of her own, she says this is the reward for giving Hagar. And that was the hope which, with which she gave Hagar, but that she would have her own child. Okay, the next Rashi says on the words, Lakol Sarai. So Hashem says, sorry, but no, not Hashem, that's the next passage. But Yishma Avram Lakol Sarai. Avraham listened to the voice of Sarai, or to a voice of Sarai, technically. It says Rashi, Leruach HaKodesh Shabbat. To the Ruach HaKodesh that was in her, or in it, in the voice, or in her, in Sarah. So, <coughs> What Rashi's telling us is that Abraham's decision to go ahead with the plan, which obviously seems a little bit odd and a little bit uncomfortable um, for, for you know, just reasons of shalom bias, that Abraham was right to do this because there was Ruach HaKodesh in Sarah's words. And Sarah also wasn't thinking sort of randomly and oddly, but she was speaking with Ruach HaKodesh, but this was going to be part of some divine plan. Now, why does Rashi say this? So it's suggested by the muscular David um, because um, yeah, normally when you have elsewhere in the Tanakh, uh, listen to the voice, it's lishmoa ba kol. The normal construction is a bet before the kol to listen into the voice. It doesn't work in English. And here we have lishmoa le kol, to listen to the voice. Now, um, on its own, out of context, that doesn't mean very much, but the fact is that it's different. The fact that it's different implies that there's something different going on here. It's not just listening to somebody in the way that it is in every other case in Tanakh, um, but it's listening to the voice itself. And if you're listening to the voice itself, then the voice itself is speaking with extra authority, i.e. with Ruach HaKodesh. So that is a suggestion. I, I, don't, know, it's the, I don't think it's the only suggestion, um, but it's a suggestion that prompts Rashi to say what he says because it's a different construction to what we normally find. So what happens next? Pasuk Gimel. The Tikach Sarai, Eshet Avram, and Sarai, the wife of Avram, took Et Hagar HaMitzrit, Shifchata, Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, again, it said Mitzrit in a way that's unnecessary because it said it in Pasuk Aleph, or you can say it's unnecessary in general because we don't need to know her ethnic origin, but we talked about that in Rashi's comment on Aleph. Miketz Eser Shanim, at the end of 10 years, the Shevet Avram Be'eretz Canaan, that Avram had dwelt in the land of Canaan, the Titain Otala Avram, and she gave her to Avram, Isha, Mapike, her husband, Lo, for him, Le'isha, as a wife or as a concubine or as a partner. Uh, not the same level as Sarai, but on some level, he gave, she gave Hagar to Abraham. So, a few things that Rashi says. First of all, the Tikach Sarai. Says Rashi, bedavarim. She took her with words and she said, Ashraich shezachit livdok beguf kodesh kezeh. You are happy that you have merited to cleave to a holy body like this. So Rashi is being consistent. Um, I haven't checked every single occurrence, but there are many occurrences in the Chumash. Uh, last week's parasha was one, where we have the word kach in relation to people. And I think in every case, but I haven't checked, 
Rashi will say that the kicha, the taking, was with words, with a sense of persuading. We've already seen in the Chumash <coughs> that Hashem took Adam and put him in Gan Eden. And Rashi said something similar there. And Rashi, as I say, says it many places. And the principle is objects are taken by force, people are not. People, when it says take people, their humanity is treated differently from animals or inanimate objects. And taking people always means persuading people. And so whenever the word kicha is said in relation to a person, Rashi will tell us what words it means that the person was taken with words. So in this case, Sarah had to persuade Hagar to cleave to a holy body like that of Abraham. It's interesting, and it's pointed out, that Rashi is saying that the effort was needed, that Hagar did not automatically jump at the chance um, and had to be persuaded, which is interesting, because obviously it was a great honor that Hagar was being offered to become sort of wife of Abraham, and after all, according to Rashi, she was only in Abraham's house because of the great miraculous nature of the life of Abraham and Sarah. So now we're told that she needs to be persuaded to assume this mantle of greatness and to grasp this fantastic opportunity to become elevated further into Abraham's household, into this tremendous uh, intimate connection with Abraham. And perhaps you can learn from this that even when faced with the challenge of greatness, some people recoil. Some people don't want to take on the challenge of greatness, because it is a challenge. It does require living up to a certain new level. And Hagar needed to be persuaded. Now, okay. Now the Torah says, Miketz Eser Shanim. At the end of 10 years, and it says, Leshevet Abraham Ba'aretz Kanaan. At the end of 10 years of Abraham living in the land of Canaan. And Rashi's going to comment on this. And the reason, perhaps, that Rashi comments on this, is we don't need to be told it was at the end of 10 years because we could have worked it out. Because we are told that when Ishmael was born, Abraham was 86, which means when Ishmael was conceived, Abraham was about 85. Now, it's going to turn out that there's going to be a very slight delay before Ishmael is conceived, as we will explain, but... Uh, not a long delay, not a, uh, uh, presumably not 12 months. And therefore, we know that this was taking place 10 years after Abraham was 75, and we're told explicitly he was 75 when he went to Eretz Israel. So why do we need to be told again, or rather to be told information that we could have worked out for ourselves? So Rashi says, This is a fixed time that is fixed for a woman, a woman who has waited for 10 years and not given birth to her for her husband, he is obliged to marry another. There is a halacha, comes in the Gemara, that says, if a husband and wife have waited 10 years without children, then the husband should take another wife. As far as I know, we've never seen this happen. And there are all sorts of stories about how it didn't happen in situations where you might think it's appropriate. And there is, by the way, a huge loophole. And that is if there's a particular reason that we can point to, including a medical reason why the woman hasn't given birth, then that's a big exception to this rule. So um, 
I, I, I feel I have to speak almost apologetically, and that's not, I don't mean to sound like that, but to clarify that this rule, this halakha, uh, does not tell us that women are just there as baby machines, and if they fail to live up to their role as baby machines, they can be dispensed with, because that's simply not what actually happened. However, there is a halakha, and it's based on this pasuk. But the reason this pasuk is telling you it was 10 years is that there is such a, I'm going to call it a theoretical halakha that implies that after 10 years, then other steps should be taken to try and fulfill the mitzvah of peru uruvu, i.e. having children. But now we come on to another possible huge loophole because the Torah goes on to say, It was at the end of 10 years that Abraham had lived in the land of Canaan. Now, we don't know when Abraham and Sarah got married, but presumably it was a long time before um, they made Aliyah to Eretz Israel. So in fact, they had been together for, we can assume, a lot more than 10 years. And this issue hadn't arisen before this point. It only arose when they were in Israel for 10 years. And Rashi says there, on the words, L'Shevet Avram Gomer, Magid, that the period living outside of Eretz Yisrael does not count towards the number of 10 years. And then Rashi says, because it hadn't been said to him, to Abraham, I, Hashem, will make you into a great nation, until he came to the land of Israel. So, in the case of Abraham, the 10 years only starts from the time they came to Israel, even though they'd been married for a long time before. Now, then Rashi says, because in the case of Abraham, Hashem said to him, I'll make you a great nation, but he only said, I'll make you a great nation, when he came to Israel. So before he came to Israel, he didn't have that bracha, and therefore, we don't say there was something, if you like, uh, that needed rectifying because of a lack of children before he received that bracha. Once he receives that bracha, I will make you a great nation, then the clock starts. And after 10 years, it reaches this conclusion. The Ramban has a strong argument with Rashi. And he says, this halacha, uh, that the years outside of Eretz Israel don't count, apply to everyone. Whereas Rashi is saying it only applies to Abraham. Now, it's not actually clear if Rashi is saying that or not. You can read it both ways. You can read Rashi as saying the 10 years, the 10 years only counted when he was in Israel. That is unique to Abraham because Abraham received the bracha of Esachal Gadol when he came to Israel. Everyone else, there's no difference between being outside Israel and inside Israel. So the 10 years start from the time people get married. Or you can say, that we learn from this, that this halacha that applied particularly to Abraham, but it's the same halacha that applies to everyone else. Because after all, on the previous comment of Rashi, on the Ketz Eser Shanim, he said, That's a generic rule for everyone. And then he says, the Shevet Abraham, Magid Ola So really, I suppose the question is, who's the low? Who's low? Is it the living outside of Israel doesn't count to him, to Abraham? But it's certainly possible, and others want to read Rashi and say, it doesn't count to him in general, he, general person, 
that he, the subject of the previous line, where it said there's a halacha, that he can take another wife or should take another wife after 10 years, the years outside of Israel don't count for him, for such a person. And as I say, that is another huge exception or, or, or if you like, undermining of the integrity of this original halacha. If we say that the 10 years only applies if you're living in Israel, then you can see that it really doesn't apply in many cases at all. Okay, that's what Rashi says on those points. And then, if we're ready, we'll carry on to Pasuk Dalet. So, Hagar is given to Abraham, Lola Isha, to him as a wife. el Hagar, and he came to Hagar, i.e. had relations with Hagar. Tahar, and she conceived. Tere Kiharata, and she saw that she had conceived. Takel, Tekal, sorry, and her mistress, i.e. Sarah, was lightened in her eyes. So she gets pregnant, and she doesn't think so much of Sarah anymore. So says Rashi, <coughs> So Abraham came to Hagar, and she conceived, from the first act of relations. And why does Rashi say this? Probably because when anybody else conceives in the Chumash, and there are lots of women who conceive, it doesn't say, um, it just says she conceived. But here, the conception is linked explicitly with the act of relations, implying that from the very first act of relations, she becomes pregnant. Which is interesting because Rashi says elsewhere, Rashi says by the daughters of Lot, uh, who also became pregnant, that normally um, a woman does not become pregnant on the very first act of relations, um, i.e. the one that takes away her virginity. Um, and Rashi explains there with the Banat Lot how they overcame that. And Rashi doesn't comment on that here, but we assume that Hagar was a Batula at this time, which therefore makes, according to this rule, that Batulot do not become pregnant uh, from the first act, this would make it even more exceptional that um, it did happen in this way to Hagar. And then Rashi says on the words, V'teikal uh, uh, her mistress, i.e. Sarah, was lightened in her eyes. Amra, she said, Hagar said, Sarai zu ein sitra kegulia. This Sarai, her hidden part is not like her revealed part. In other words, she's not sincere. She looks very pious, but she's not so pious. Mare atzma ki tzadeket. She makes it look as if she's a tzadeket. And she's not actually righteous. Because she did not merit to pregnancy all these years. And I became pregnant from the first act of relations. So Haggai, Hagar reckons that there's something funny going on. Because even though, according to Rashi, she only went into Sarai's household because she saw miracles done for Sarai. She now sees a lack of miracles done for Sarai because she sees miracles done for herself in the Sarai situation. She um, is given a miraculous conception so that Abraham can have a child. 
And therefore she concludes that Sarai should have had an equally miraculous treatment, but she didn't. So now, the way Rashi expresses the, the logic is that Hagar is saying that Sarai has missed out on a miracle which she should have had if she were deserving. Therefore, she concludes she's not deserving. Now, why does Rashi say this? Because the pastor clearly links the takal tekal be'inaha with the teira harata. She saw that she had conceived and then she didn't think the same of Sarai. So what's the connection between one and the other? Why does her becoming pregnant make her think less of Sarai? So Rashi has to spell out that connection. Because she became pregnant in a miraculous fashion, and therefore she thinks that she's having miracles which should have happened for Sarai, and Sarai doesn't get the miracles, therefore she concludes that Sarai is not a, uh, a tzadeket, and therefore the teikal kibirta ve'eneha. Now Rashi doesn't say exactly why she became pregnant from Biyarishonah. Um, I always assumed that because we want to, Hashem wants to limit the association between Abraham and Hagar, that uh, if Hagar is going to have a child and that's part of Hashem's plan, then it can be done with one act of union between Abraham and Hagar, and Abraham doesn't have to, as it were, sully himself with any more acts of union with this woman. That's how I've always understood it. But Rashi doesn't say that, but maybe, maybe that's, that's part of the, uh, uh, what Rashi is hinting at, which makes Hagar's comments all the more ironic. So if I'm right, then the, the fact that Hagar uh, becomes pregnant from Bia Rishona is actually a pagam, a blemish against Hagar, but Hagar takes it as to her credit and therefore thinks bad of Sarai. So what happens next? Pasuk hey, Sarai el Avram. Sarai says to Abraham, Hamasi alecha, my Hamas. Now, Hamas is a hard word to translate. Sometimes it means violence, but here I would translate it as injustice. So Hamasi is the injustice done to me. Alecha is on you. I put my servant in your bosom, in your embrace. And she saw that she was pregnant. And I became light in her eyes. Hashem will judge between me and between you. So I... I have to say, I don't have a, a thorough explanation of what's gone wrong here, because Sarah obviously uh, is expressing very, very harsh terms towards Abraham, even though Abraham only did what Sarah told him to do. But anyway, let's see if Rashi helps us a bit. So Rashi says on the words, Hamasi alecha, my injustice is on you. Hamas ha'asuili. Injustice is done to me. So the first thing Rashi is doing is explaining Hamasi, because Hamasi could be understood in two ways. It could be my injustice meted out on somebody else, or the injustice done to me. Now, obviously, from the context, it is the injustice done to me, but Rashi spells that out with his first three words. Hamas ha'asui li. So Rashi puts it into a grammatical form, which is not ambiguous at all. The injustice done to me. Alecha anima tilha onesh. On you, I put the punishment. Why? What have you done that's wrong? Now, it can't be that you have taken Hagar as a concubine because Sarai told him to do that. And, Hashem, and he listened to the voice of 
Sarah and the Ruach HaKodesh in it. So that's not, that can't be Peshat, even though it might look like the obvious Peshat. So Rashi rejects that one. So Rashi has to say, Kushahit Palalta, when you davened, when you prayed, La Kadosh Baruch to Hashem, and you said, Mati Li, what will you give me, Anochi Holech Ariri, and I go childless, Lo hit palalta ela alecha, vahayat lachali hit palel al shenenu, al shenenu. You only daven for you, and you should have davened for the two of us. So this actually goes to the core of what is Abraham's need for children, and I alluded to this before. Is it that Abraham needs to have a child, or is it that the Abraham Sarah unit needs to have a child? And it could be that the consequences of this are very great, as actually we see. Because it could be, um, well, how it turns out, which I think actually was what Sarah knew all along, that if Abraham has a child, that won't be the ancestor of the Jewish people. It'll be somebody who goes in a different direction. But if Abraham and Sarah have a child, that will be the child, the next link in the chain, as indeed happened when Yitzchak was born. And as we see, that explains also the um, distinction that Sarah makes very clearly between Yitzhak and Yishmael, as I already spoke about. But on a simple level, although I think it's the two, if you like, two levels happening at the same time, Sarah is saying, what about me? What about me? I also wanted a child. And when you davened that you should have a child, it turned out that that's what happened. You had a child and I didn't, and it's your fault. <coughs> and that's the Hamas, that's the injustice that you did to me. And had you davened for both of us, then I would have been remembered. In other words, I would have, my prayers would have been answered with you. And I would also have had a child. And then Rashi says, And furthermore, Your words, you are, now here has to be translated slightly differently to make it make sense. You are withholding from me you have heard my disgrace, i.e. the way Hagar is talking about me, and you are quiet. So there's a, two things that Sarah is saying to Abraham that you have done Hamas. Number one, you have done injustice by not davening for me. And number two, uh, translating Hamas as you held back your words from me. You didn't protect me in my hour of need. And that's also Hamasi. The Maharal points out that Rashi's source for this is the Midrash Barashat Rabbah. And there, the two explanations are given in slightly different words uh, than Rashi quotes here, but the same idea in the name of two different Tanayim. In other words, there are two alternative interpretations. Rashi doesn't bring them as two alternative interpretations. He doesn't put a Dva Acher another interpretation between the first and the second. Rashi presents them as the two combined being the interpretation. And the Maharal says there, because Rashi understands that this is the correct interpretation of the word Hamasi. The correct interpretation of the word Hamasi has two aspects to it. And number one, we can say that that's two translations of Hamas, as I said, injustice and withholding. But also, there's a parallelism, and if you like, a complementary relationship between the two things. One is about Abraham's dealing with Hashem, and the other is about Abraham's dealing with people. 
Um, but you can also say that the first is really a Ben Adam Lechavero, because Abraham doesn't deal with the, he doesn't consider his wife, he fails to consider his wife when he's davening. And the other is Ben Adam Lamoko, because what he's doing there is failing to speak out against injustice. When Sarah is abused, what, to whatever extent it was, or is insulted or disgraced by Hagar and Hagar's attitude, that is not something that's against Abraham, but it's Abraham's obligation to speak out against what's going wrong. And that actually is a mitzvah ben adam lamakom, not a mitzvah ben adam lachabero. Abraham's obligation, the obligation of all of us, to speak out when something is wrong in society is actually part of our obligation to a Kodesh Baruch Hu. So another way you can see the parallelism between these two ideas, between these two aspects of what Hamasi means, is Abraham's failure, Ben Adam le Chavero, to not to daven for Sarai, and Abraham's failure, Ben Adam le Makom, not to speak out against injustice. But however you look at it, the two aspects of what Abraham, the way Rashi puts it, are complementary rather than uh, uh, mutually exclusive. And that is why he sees that as the proper interpretation of Hamasi and not as two opposing views. Continues uh, Rashi, Anochi natati shivchati beini uveinecha. Now the word uveinecha uh, in the Chumash has probably got a little circle, a little star, to show that it's not a typical spelling of beinecha. And Rashi has something to say on this. Because he says, Kol beinecha shubemikra chaser male. Every time you see the word beinecha between me and between you, it's chaser, and here it is male. Normally it's written missing a letter, and here the letter is there. Which letter? The second yud. The yud are between the nun and the chaf. Now again, I haven't checked, but I'm sure Rashi is correct, that normally that yud is not there in the spelling in the Chumash. But here it is. So that's something that Rashi definitely has to explain, because it's an irregularity, and it's a difference from the norm. The norm is not to have a yud, and here it does have a yud. So Rashi says, Karibe you can read it as between me and between you, you feminine. Because if it meant between me and between you feminine, it would be spelt with a tsere, two dots under the nun, which is what's implied by the extra yud. Now I know it's a little bit of a stretch, but this is what the Mephoshim say. That that yud there, that second yud between the nun and the chaf, is the yud that you would expect if there were not a segel under the nun, but a seire under the nun. And if there's a seire under the nun, then it can be read as uveinech, between me and between you, you feminine. So who's the you feminine to whom Sarah might be addressing herself? Obviously, there's only one other party in this story, and she's feminine, and that is Hagar. So says Rashi, shehechnisa ayin hara ba'uvura, that uh, she entered the Ayin Hara into Ba'abura, Ab Abura, sorry, Shalhagar, the embryo that Hagar was carrying, the Hipila Ubra, and she miscarried her um, fetus. Hu Shahamalach Omar Hagar. All right, I'll pause for a minute. So the point is that Hagar miscarried. The point is that Hagar's pregnancy did not endure, and says Rashi, because of what we're going to see in Pasuk Yud Aleph, Hagar is told she's going to get pregnant again, and she gets pregnant again, and that birth is Yishmael. 
And by the way, I said earlier that the birth of Yishmael took place when Abraham was 86. Um, so the uh, conception would have taken place pretty soon before that, or nine months before that, obviously. Um, and there wasn't much delay, I said, between taking Hagar and Yishmael being conceived. So even though Hagar got pregnant straight away, says Rashi, that pregnancy didn't lead to Yishmael. There was another pregnancy, which was a little bit later, but it can't have been much later because we know that Abraham, because uh, there's no reason, sorry, why it would have been much later. So we can say, still say that we could have worked out for ourselves that um, the connection between Abraham and Hagar took place when Abraham had been in Israel for 10 years. Okay, back to this. So what happened to Hagar's pregnancy? So it was, the it was lost as the result of something between me and between you, says Sarah, translating, reading as So Rashi says she put the evil eye on Hagar. Now, I don't know what Ayin Hara means. Um, I think there's a lot of bugmices about what Ayin Hara is and we get into red strings and things like that, which I don't think we need to take tremendously seriously. Um, with all due respect to those who um, feel they are important. Um, but Ayin Hara basically means that a, a sentiment of negativity towards somebody else's success. So we don't call up two, uh, a father and a son or two brothers to the Torah one after another because of Ayin Hara. What does that mean? It means if people look at one family having so much success, but they get two consecutive aliyot, then people will have negative feelings towards them and those negative feelings can have an effect. That's as much as I understand about Ayin Hara. So Sarah has negative feelings towards Hagar, which is totally understandable given the circumstances, and those negative feelings result in Hagar having a misfortune, i.e. a miscarriage. Not that Sarah wanted to bring about Hagar's miscarriage, and Sarah deliberately did that, but Sarah put an ayin hara, in other words, Sarah had negative feelings towards Hagar's success, and those negative feelings, especially coming from a tzadikas, have an effect. Uh, we know that the Gemara talks about um, uh, Tanayim putting a negative respect, or, or sometimes they call it an ayin hara, about a, another person in the Bet Midrash because they've done something wrong, and that other person then suffers a pretty gruesome fate. So negative feelings from Sadiqim have an effect. And that is what happened to Hagar as a result of Sarah's negativity towards her, which we call Ayin Hara. Anyway, that, that explanation works for me. Now, why, where does Rashi get the idea from that Sarah, sorry, that Hagar um, lost the first baby? Because, and we'll just jump now to Pasuk Yud Aleph, which we're not going to get to this week, or maybe we will, probably not. When the Malach meets Hagar, the Malach says to her, Behold you, something like you are pregnant. But Rashi says it doesn't mean that. Rashi says it means you will conceive. Now, Rashi is not, uh, Rashi is uh, not, that's not a universal interpretation. Uh, Ibn Ezra and Radak says it means you are pregnant, which you already knew, which is probably why Rashi doesn't accept that interpretation. But working backwards from Rashi on Pasuk Yudalaf, where according to Rashi, the Malach tells Hagar she is going to get pregnant, Rashi then learns that the first pregnancy, which we already know has happened, did not endure. It must have been lost. And says Rashi, it's lost at this point 
when Sarah says, Yishpat Hashem Beini Uveinecha, and the extra Yud means it can be read Beini Uveinech, which means Sarah has a uh, asking Hashem to judge between her and Hagar, and that has a consequence, and the consequence is Hagar loses the baby, which is why she needs to be told in Pasuk she is going to get pregnant, i.e. for a second time. And that's what we'll finish off the Rashi here, still on Pasuk Hay at the end. That's what the Malach says to Hagar in Pasuk Yudalaf, which Rashi translates as, <coughs> you will conceive, says Rashi. Behold, she's already conceived. We know that. We know the whole problem is that Hagar's got pregnant and she got pregnant so quickly. And now the Malach is telling her, informing her that she's going to conceive. How can that be? But it tells us that the first she, she lost, she miscarried the first pregnancy. Okay, then what happens next? So Pasuk Vav, Vayomer Avram El Sarai, Hinei Shifchateich Biyadeich. So Avram says to Sarai, and remember, according to Rashi, Sarah has complained to Abraham that he has not stepped in to in the if you like the uh, the argument between Hagar and Sarai, or the mistreatment of Hagar but of Sarai by Hagar. And so now Abraham responds. Rashi doesn't say that explicitly, but it looks to me like Rashi is saying that Sarah's complaint in Pasuk A is responded to by Abraham in Pasuk Vav, where Vayoma Abraham el Sarai, Hinei Shifhateich Biyadeich, Behold, your maidservant is in your hands. Asi la hatov do for her what's good in your eyes. And what happened? Vataaneha Sarai, and Sarai will translate it as afflicted her, but we will challenge that in just a moment. And she fled from before her. Who fled from before whom? Obviously, Hagar fled from Sarah. I say obviously because that's the consequence of Sarah um, afflicting her. But more clearly, it's because of what happens next in Pasuk Zion and Pasuk Chet. It's clearly Hagar who's fled. So what does it mean for Ta'aneha Sarai? So Rashi's got to answer a question, and I think he's also answering a different question, but it may not be his concern. Rashi's answering, what does that mean? In what way did she afflict her? Says Rashi, Hayta mushabedet ba bakoshi. She made her work, she made her into an evid. I'm deliberately not translating it as enslaved because I don't think that has the right connotation. She made her work bakoshi, hard. She made her work hard. Now, I think Rashi's also saying something which I think is important for our modern sensitivities, and it may not be of Rashi's concern. But I think it's important that we know what it means when it says that Sarah uh, afflicted her. Uh, sorry, afflicted her. It means she established who was in charge of whom. It means she reaffirmed Hagar's status as an Eved or as a Shivcha. And that's what Rashi says she made her do. She may, he made her into an Eved or a Shivcha, which is what she was. And she established that that was her, uh, her status. Because what was going wrong? Hagar was getting ideas above her status. That's what the consequence of the Teikal Givirta means Hagar didn't, was beginning to forget who was the boss, who was the mistress, and who was the servant. I much prefer to translate Ebed as servant, which I think is a legitimate translation. 
Uh, and I don't think it needs the connotation that we give the word slave in English, which I think causes all sorts of misunderstandings and problems. So I prefer the word servant, or in Hebrew, if the feminine version is maidservant. So Hagar, her problem was she forgot who's the mistress in charge of the servant. So Sarah's response was to remind her that she's the servant. And she reminded her Bakoshi um, with fixed, with, with rigor, if you like. Uh, or you might even say harshness, but I don't want to go there. She reminded her forcibly that she was the servant. Again, the Gemara talks uh, and the Halacha says, but there are certain acts, certain acts that if a master asks the servant to do, that establishes the status of the servant as a servant. And that's what Sarah did. But Hagar fled because as a consequence of her being reminded that she was a servant, when she thought she should be more than that because of what had happened to her, uh, because she became pregnant straight away, so she runs away. And Pasuk Zion says, malach Hashem al And a malach of Hashem found her by the well of water, the midbar, in the desert, al ha'ayin, by the well, the derech shur, in the way of shur, in the way to shur. Interestingly, the Pasuk says twice she's by a well of water. Um, and wells or springs uh, feature highly, feature many times in the story of Hagar, although Rashi doesn't particularly talk about that, but I just thought I'd mention it. I mentioned that it, twice in the same Pasuk, it says she's by an ayin, by a spring of water. So what happens, what does Rashi say on Pasuk Zion? Nothing at all, which means there is no particular question for Rashi on Pasuk Zion. So let's go to Pasuk Chet. Rav, yes, can I pick on Pasuk Zion, please? Um, interesting the word Vayim Sa'ah, like um, Amalach kind of found her. I don't know if that implies that it was looking, he was looking for her for a period of time. I don't, I'm just wondering if there's anything. I know Russia obviously doesn't comment. I don't know if you can, we'd have to go, obviously, I know it's a Russia share, but anything, any thoughts about that, maybe? Well, as we will see, the Malach is there to give her a prophecy. Um, so the reason uh, the Malach finds her is to tell her, or tell her to go back, and that's important, because the Malach, so I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but, but uh, the, this encounter with his Malach is not random, it's, it's crucial. Um, next time she runs away, uh, or rather, no, next time Abraham sends her away, there there's a different problem. I'm just mentioning this because we can confuse. Uh, in this story, Sarah, uh, sorry, Hagar runs away and meets a Malach and tells her to go back. In the next story, uh, in the next Pasha, Hagar is sent away with Yishmael, and Yishmael nearly dies, and the Malach appears to tell Hagar that Yishmael is going to be okay. But here, um, the, the crucial message, and this is very, very important, is go back and be subservient to Sarah. And that, that's really the theme that's, that's running through this, that Sarah, uh, Hagar is Sarah's servant. Hagar gets ideas above her status. Sarah reinforces that status. Hagar runs away, and the Malach tells her to go back and be a servant. The Malach also tells her she's going to have a child, he's going to be called Yishmael, and what sort of person he's going to be. So it's important that the Malach finds her. Now, um, what, my initial thought in response to your comment is I don't think um, Matzah necessarily has exactly the same connotation that it has in English. In other words, finding always goes with seeking. Um, that if you find something, it means you've been looking for it, and you've been looking for it for a while. You don't just sort of come across it. Whereas Matzah, I think, and I don't really have a proof for this, but just my, my hush 
is that matzah means can mean just come across, can mean almost encounter, doesn't necessarily have to mean seeking. So does that sort of obviate? Perfect. Makes sense. Thank you. Okay. So, Poshet Haga Shifcha Sarai, and he said the Malach, and Haga, that's in the vocative. Oh Haga, servant of Sarai, a mizer bata, but sorry, ve'ana telechi. So um, Rashi says, I'm just going to jump straight to Rashi. A mizer bat, because uh, we're going to use Rashi to translate. Mehechan bat, from where have you come? Rashi's got a bit more to say, but we'll come back to that. So a mizer bat, from where have you come? Ve'ana telechi, and to where are you going? Ve'tomer, and she said. Mitnei Sarai Gaviriti from before Sarai, my mistress, Anochi Borachat, I am fleeing. And I've just noticed for the first time ever that I'm just noticing right now, hot off the press, that the Malach asks two questions and Hagar only answers one. The Malach says, Where have you come from? And where are you going? And Hagar doesn't say where I'm going. Now, continuing my thesis. But the subtext of this whole encounter is Hagar's status as a servant. It could be that when Hagar says, I have run, I have come away from my mistress, she's including that I'm going to a status of non-servitude. I've left a status of where Sarah had mastery over me, which implies without even needing to be said, I'm going to a place where Sarah doesn't have mastery over me. That's just, just my um, suggestion. Anyway, Rashi says on Amy Zerbata, but, sorry, I keep saying, Mehechan Bat. So Rashi translates it as Mehechan Bat because we're not sure where Amy Zer means because Amy Zer is a bit weird. A, sort of where or which, Mizer, from there, from this, but you have come. Which from this you have come. What does that mean? So Rashi translates it as mehechan bat, from where have you come? Words that are familiar and understanding to us. Next, Rashi says something that he said twice before in the Chumash, um, if you remember. Um, he answers a question of why does the Malach, who after all is in the mystery of Hashem himself, need to ask this question? The Malach obviously knows the answer. So Rashi says, Yodea haya, he knew it. But he gave her an opportunity to enter with her with words. Where does Rashi say that as well? So Rashi says it in two different cases, which are different from this. Uh, one is with Adam after he's eaten the fruit. Um, and one is with Cain after he's killed uh, his brother. And in both cases, Hashem enters into a conversation to give them the opportunity to do teshuva. Now here, it's different because there's no teshuva needed. Um, unless you say running away is needed. Sure, but Rashi doesn't seem to say that. But what, so what Rashi is saying is he wants to give her the opportunity to start the conversation. So he starts a conversation by saying, where have you come from? Even though he knows the answer. And then Rashi goes back to Veloshan Eimizeh. <coughs> we already said that it's a curious expression. And Rashi now says, yes, indeed, it is curious. Where is the place that you say of it, from there I am 
coming. So Rashi is saying, as I said, it's a curious, it's a clunky sort of phrase. How does it mean mehechan bat? From where have you come? How did you get from emizer to mehechan? So Rashi spells out that uh, that leap, if you like, that linguistic leap. Emizer means hamakom. Where is the place of which you said you have come from? It. It could be that Rashi is hinting, but the Malach is hinting to Hagar. What sort of place is it that you've come from? It's not just you come from A, you're going to B. That A is a very significant A. It is the tent of Abraham Avinu. It is the place where Abraham and Sarah's Sidkut is so manifest. It is the place where they do so much chesed. And it's the place where they have their home, their, their this vast Kirov program, etc., etc. Where is the, this place? What is the significance of this place? that you say you have come from. And perhaps Rashi is saying that, I'm not totally convinced, but that's one suggestion. The Rashi is saying, but the Malach is saying that, as part of the next part of the message of the Malach, which is go back to that place. Which if, he, if the question was just, where have you come from? From A on your way to B, then there wouldn't be an obvious incentive to go back to the place you come from. But if the Malach tells Hagar to reflect on the place that it is that you come from, what is this place? What is the nature of this place? Then it makes more sense for the Malach to then say, go back to that place. And I think we will conclude there for this week. And I will invite any questions and comments. Rob, can I ask quickly, if I may, please? Um, I note that here at Malach, and I think next time as well, when Hagar is sent away, it's also Malach comes to her aid. But, um, or maybe it's a butt call, I can't quite remember, but definitely with Avraham, it's Anashim. And maybe I'm jumping the gun, maybe at the start of Vayera, uh, when it, um, it, Rush will talk about why it's Anashim there and not Malach. But I'm just wondering, maybe if not, if you can maybe offer any reason why this time it's explicit why it's Malach and not an, Anash, an, an Ish, I guess. Ah, oh, why it's Malach and why it's Ish? Uh, yeah, why, like, in, yeah. We will get Abraham to that. Avraham is Anashim, and here it's explicitly okay. Malach. We will get to that. that Rashi does answer that explicitly, not for a while, but I'll, I'll save yeah. that for when the time comes. Uh, I know Rashi does that. Okay, I will say thank you all very much. We will meet again next week. Thank Sarah, you. did you want to add something? No. Nope. Okay, thank you and good night. Thank you very much. Thank good you. night. Thank you, Rabbi. Thanks very much.